Here we go. Morning Wood Radio live at the 11 a.m. hour to accommodate our master guest host, eight-time world champion, two-time Olympic gold medalist. Make sure we're on his time for this time of Morning Wood Radio. We are live with your guest host, Hunter McIntyre. How are we doing today? Dude, let's hear from the champ. How are you oh. doing, Eric? Yeah, real good, boys. Yeah, real good. Yeah, great to be here. Dude, your Wikipedia page page is uh, literally only one color, gold. Every <laughs> single score, every single score is gold, 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 gold. <laughs> and sometimes I like to talk shit and I say gold is the only crayon that I got in my box. And uh, I mean, dude, that's you. You're a rock star. Uh, yeah, yeah. We, uh, I mean, uh, sometimes you pinch yourself and... and and yet it's still a little bit surreal because at the end of the day, when you jump into sport and you want to do something, you want to have a bit of fun, you want to enjoy yourself, you know, you want to, you want to win a couple of things here and there. And that basically every time we went into a race, it was like, let's just try and win a race. You know, like yeah. the first race we ever raced together in the pair, it was like, should we just try and win a race? You know, and then next one, it's like, oh, okay, well, let's try and win this one as well. Uh, and then, yeah, and then all of a sudden, mate, we're 71 victories and we've never lost. And I'm like, holy fuck, how'd that happen? Dude. That's that's what that's what makes it wild. I I love it, man. I I when you I think you left a comment on one of the things that I posted, and I got so excited. I was like, oh my <laughs> god! I was like, he reached out first. I was like, that means <laughs> yeah. the door is open. I got it. Dude, I honestly like my own like little giddy self. I'm I don't know if you've ever heard of this this app that's taking over the world called OnlyFans. I would never pay to see a naked woman, but if you had an OnlyFans where I got to watch all of your training all day long, you could charge any premium you want and I'd pay. I'd pay. Well see we 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 were right on the cusp, I think, of of the social media. You know, when we first started on the peer was like two thousand and nine. Yep. So like social media was there and, and everything, you know, um but we we're not we're definitely not like if we were in the age of what it is now, man. We we could have blown up massively, and it was always you know and we used it to self promote and you know we were getting sponsors, so you, you want to get as much pro, like profile and and uh, and give them as much um, of their feedback and everything as you possibly can. Uh, and but of course, as it started to grow, and then we started to use that social media, I started posting a lot of the workouts and stuff online. Uh, and then some of them were super crazy with people just going, no way, there's no way that's real. And then you'd be like, yes, it is, like, carry on. Uh, and so, you know, that's, that is part of what social media can be used for. Um, you know, obviously, shameless self-promotion. But at yep. the same time, you know, share a few few nuggets and, and gold. And, and to be fair, you know, there's always that psychological thing is if you're posting something and, and it's like people are like, fuck, I don't know if I can do that. You're putting doubt into other people's minds. And, at the, and so if you're doing things like that and people are like, man, I don't know if I can beat them, then when you set up, when when, I, when we got on the start line and somebody's sitting next to me, I can look across and go, well, I know you haven't beaten me. And they're probably looking at me going, well, we haven't beaten them before. I, I hope we do. But you can't go into anything with hope and luck. You know, you've got to know realistic expectations or else you're, you're going in blind. Yeah. Oh, dude, I... I got. I, I have a whole list of questions. I got to start from the front, or I'll just get too excited and run in circles around. Yeah, pal. Let's let's rock and roll. So, rock and roll. I mean, I got to ask you one question. So it says here that you used to be. You got into uh, into rowing because you used to be a heavy set kid. Is that true? Pretty much. Yeah, and I played rugby. So you know, rugby's rugby's New Zealand's national sport. Yep. So everyone plays rugby, and I was playing rugby. I enjoyed it. 
but basically I started to figure out that I was better at rowing than I was at rugby. Yeah. Uh, and so just went down that path. But I probably went on that sort of, you know, that mid to late set puberty where you sort of just gain a little bit of weight, you're a little bit chubby, you know, and I shot up. Um, you know, by the time I was probably 15, I was already about 100 kilograms. Um, so about 225 pounds, whatever you call it. Yeah. Um, you know, but I was already like six foot three. So it was like, man, that guy's a giant. Um, and so then I, and then I just had to grow into my body. Um, and I did find that rowing, you know, after a couple of years, probably when I started getting into, you know, two or three years after I'd left school, then you really start to like get that muscle and you start to actually, you know, define the, the type of person and the muscle mass that you need um, to be good at the, the sport that I've chosen. And then from there, it's just, you know, it's refining. So just out of curiosity, have you ever heard of Jason Marshall, the guy who's been setting a lot of these like skier and rowing records? There's like, you know, oh, I, yeah. Yeah. Yep. He was a rugby player up to 270 pounds. Mm. The guy's 6'3", you're 6'5". And it's crazy to see that two of the greatest people in the history of time on these machines and you in real life on a boat came from a rugby background. I mean, do you think that was just the fact oh. that you were a big guy and went to rugby or you were a savage rugby player and got into boating? I, I definitely think that there's, you know, there's, there's an element of, you know, you when you define what you're trying to do, you've you got to realize that there's strength, fitness, technique, but then there's attitude, right? And I think a lot of people underestimate that attitude and what you want. And so if you get that attitude right and it's a real mongrel mentality of like, I am I want to be ruthless and I really want to win and I'll fucking kill to get there, you know, that type of, of energy. If you get that mix right with all the other parts, then you can you can go a long way. And I definitely think with a sport like rugby, you know, and, and I'm sure football, NFL sort of, type of things the same you've got to be ruthless like you've got to take the hits you've got to be like prepared to put your body on the line so you understand what needs to be done and I think that that does help um but at the end of the day it, with anything it's I think it's I think it's all up here yeah. we're all a bit different where it's like how how hard can I punish myself like how how deep are you willing to go into the pit of despair to be like I really want to like hammer my body today to see how far I can push it. Like, where's my ceiling? Where's my benchmark? Like, how deep can I actually go? And that's, I think I just had that drive and determination to be able to be like, I'm willing to leave myself out there and like not be able to walk. And I think if you can go that deep, you've got the the makings of, of really like some, some great success. Well, uh, this may, this is a little, I'm putting the cart before the horse on this one, but since we're on this note, I mean, I watched the video of you winning the 2012 double skull uh, at the Olympics <laughs> You guys won by like two boat lengths. And when you were done, man, you didn't fold over at all. Like you were totally fine. Would you say that your training was far harder than your racing? Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. The one, the biggest thing I always find with people is that they don't know, like everyone's talks about this 110% and all that crap. And I'm like, there's no 110%. percent you got to know what you can do. Like what is, what can you physically achieve? And that was what, like, one of our philosophies was realistic expectation, you know, knowing your capabilities. So we would do test pieces, whether they were half distance or we'd, we'd always do a full race piece 10 days out from a big competition, right? Full gas. Like, it's like we're, we're all on. Because you've got plenty of time to recover. You've got that period of, of peaking coming into it where you can do it. And, and we were flying. And I was like, wow, man, no one's going to touch us. You know, and, and it was just everything had clicked. Um, and so when we turned up to the event in London, I was like, I knew we were quick. I knew we were fast. 
And all we had to go out and do was do exactly what you've done in training. And so if you've pushed yourself to those deep, dark places in training, then technically racing, it's still going to be stressful. There's still anxiety and everything else. But you should still be able to to know what you can achieve. And at the end of the day, you've got to go out there and just and do what you can achieve, right? And if you if you if you know what your ceiling is, you know what you can achieve, and you do that or you slightly exceed it, which you look at the Olympics or anything, people aren't like smashing their PBs by huge numbers at small, small, small margins. If Most you can of the do PBs that actually don't happen at the Olympics. It's usually just like jockeying for position 100%. to get that win. 100% and that's and that's exactly right and so for us it was like we knew we were quick we, we, we've got it all there execute it well because at the end of the day if you execute it well and you get across that finish line like job's done yeah so just out of curiosity that 10 day out workout like what was a number that you were trying to hit like what was a good number for you to smack up against like a 550 so, a 545 or something no so so when we're on so when we're on the water we're working everything in terms of a percentage of the world record of the pair so yep. for us at the time it was six minutes 14 was was the world record in the pair so everything we did was it was was calculated from that so if we're doing repeats of 500s we want them to be um sustainable at sort of 134 you know sort of even 133 a little bit um and then of course you know if then when we do a thousand meters we want to be doing 307s yep. um and you've got to remember that these times were set in really good solid tailwind conditions yep. um and so that's basically that, that's what we're trying to do so when we're doing a 2k because it's a world record unless you've got yep. the good conditions ain't no fucking way you're getting anywhere near close to it um you know and and just to skip off it all out the average of all our races that we ever did was six minutes 25 right so it gives you a, it gives you a, a relative um interpretation of it but then we turned up at the olympics and we had beautiful conditions and we we went out in our first race and i said to hamish I was like look wait we this great conditions let's, let's just have a really good good push over the course right we haven't raced we did a 10 day we haven't raced anyone for like about two months and I said, let's just have a really good push over the course. So we, we got out and French crew sort of tracked us for about the first 750 to like third of the race. Then we started pushing through. We got in front at the 1,000. We just kept really good rhythm all the way to the finish line. And it was great. Real good. And so across the finish line, I was like, man, that's a real good race, right? And, you know, first step, you're into the semifinal. And then <laughs> we did this warm down. Everyone clapping and, cl clapping and cheering. And, and we pulled into the pontoon and, Next minute, the you know the the FISA president, the guy from World Rowing and stuff, and and all these other dignitaries are coming down, going, "Well done, guys! Well done!" And we're like, and I was like, won the heat, and they go, "No, no, no! You guys just broke the world record by six seconds." And I was like, yeah, I "Oh that. no way!" And I said, <laughs> I said, and I looked at Hamish, and I was like, "You don't know how because we got this little GPS speedo on our on our boat." And I said, "You don't know how fast we were going." He goes, "No, I forgot the starter." And I was like, "One job, pal! Like one fucking job." Um, and so we didn't, he just, because we were in the zone, you know, when you get in that zone, you just, you, all, you, all you're worried about is what you're doing. You're, you're in your little bubble. So we didn't care about speed. We were just worried about the opposition because you're, you're virtually in a match play situation, right? It's like, yep. get top three, you're in the next round. Doesn't matter how fast you go, how fucking slow you go. All you got to do is get that, that level. And that was all our focus was. That was our race plan when we went into it. Um, but lo and behold, we had great conditions, super relaxed. I think the fact that we were super relaxed and we just basically went we went right to that red line of our physicality and just managed to hold ourselves there we weren't exceeding it like we didn't have to sprint to the line we didn't have to you know dip into that 
that bag of despair to really like race it to the line, yep. stayed comfortable, and next minute, bang, we've gone super fast, you know, and and that that time is off the chain, man. I never thought we'd go that fast. Um, you know, I thought we'd, we'd maybe push it. Uh, yeah, yeah, shit, yeah. Um, I think the closest we we got the closest a couple of years later by a second. Um, but then since that, I think three or four maybe is probably about the closest. So, so are you guys talking in the boat at all? Yeah, well, so what happens in the pier is that we're like sitting because it's Ryan's, Ryan's a bit fucked up. You're, you're sort of sit, you're looking that way, but you're, you're going that way. And so yep. just the way that my voice projects onto Hamish, because if he if he tried to say anything, I wouldn't be able to hear shit. Um, and so basically I just, I, race plan's already done, right? You go, we're going to focus on this at this point, at this marker. So you can't say a lot because you are, you are working full gear. So there ain't no conversation. It's like clean, push, you know, uh, smart, commit, do whatever, do, because do that's, they, that's, it, that's all you can do. Do they allow, uh, back in the day you said you couldn't like communicate, but now, nowadays, do they allow athletes to like wear an earpiece so you guys could talk back and no. forth like motorcycles, you know, motorcycle yeah, riders? No, they've never, they've never been into that actually, which is quite, um, it's really interesting, but because there's, there's a few like obscure rules where you're not allowed to carry communication devices from coaching or get outside support while you're doing it. Um, so there's, there is a whole bunch of stuff like that. I've, I've actually, yeah, it's an interesting one because only when you're in the eights, you know, like you see the big eights, of, you know, NCAA and all that sort of stuff and you know, the Olympics, that's when the coxswain is the only one that they're, they're in control of the boat. They're, they're doing their thing um, and they're the ones communicating. So they're basically your driving force. Um, whereas every other boat, it's one of the people in the boat has to take control. And generally, it's the person at the back because their voice projects over the rest of them. Um, and that's basically just how we worked it. So Hamish, if I heard him pipe up, if I could, if he if he turned his head slightly and said something, I was like, we're on, you know, like, let's go. <laughs> so out of curiosity, like, why, why the doubles? Uh, so good question, right? And in, in a program, you take a whole bunch of people, and in rowing, there's singles, doubles, pairs, fours, quads, eights. So you, you're basically like, okay, we're we're and and when you're in a program like a high performance program, which is which is what we have down here in New Zealand, we're all government funded, right? So the government pumps money into sport in New Zealand. So as an organisation, if you're the CEO or the high performance manager, it's like we we told the government we were going to get a certain number of medals. And so what are those medals going to look like? And so then what you do is you go, well, where's the top athletes? You know, these are the top athletes. Let's put them in a position where they are going to get us that reward, which is the medal. And then that's basically how it comes about. So we had Mahe, who was a guy in the single skull, very, very good in single skull. So he was there. You know, if you put him, us, you know, maybe another guy into a four, you're sacrificing the ability to get, say, three medals for one. And so if you, if you take everyone and put them in an eight, <laughs> you could have had three or four boats going, which is three or four medals rather than one medal. And so at the end of the day, a lot of things just come down to the hierarchy of like, we need to put like, we, need, we just need medals. So New Zealand was historically better by taking say pairs, doubles, um, the occasional four and singles. And that's how it came about. So we were, we were originally rowing in a four together. Um, and I had been to the, cause I did four Olympics. So I was in Athens. Um, we ended up getting fifth, and then Hamish jumped into the crew like 2006, 
And then we went through and we won the world championships in 2007 and the four, and then we bombed out in the in Beijing Olympics. We missed the final. Um, and so we, we're dejected sitting on this on the finish line, watching one, two, and three from our semi-final the following day, go on to get gold, silver, and bronze, just going, ah, oh, fuck. And so, you know, like it's those what-if situations. Uh, but then what happened was two of the guys that we'd been with were like, oh, we're going to take a break. But Hamish and I knew when we'd been training together in the pier that there was some good magic. And so it was literally just a conversation where you take testing into your own hands, right? And you go, mate, should we give it a nudge? You know, and it's like, and then we went in the first year and we won and it's like, right, it's, we're, we're, we're done. Like, and that's the thing, right? You're sitting there for, you make a plan for, I think my math is correct, it's like 1,461 days for an Olympic cycle. Yep. So when you're in an Olympic sport, you you plan for fourteen hundred and sixty-one days, right? You you go, you put it on a on a on a piece of paper, and you put in all the the um, all the intermediary goals and 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 competitions that you want to do and, and where you need to be and everything else, and that's what we did. We were like, we're fourteen hundred and sixty-one days until we can go and because that's the thing with the Olympics, which what makes them the event from an athlete's perspective is is. The, the terminology of it, it's fucked, right? Because you've got this one opportunity every four years. And some people trying to get to the Olympics, let alone, is hard enough. Trying to, to get there and do well is the statistics are just off the chain in terms of probabilities of you actually of doing well. So uh, and, and that's us. Is world championships, like in wrestling, world championships is actually supposed to be harder than the Olympics because of the way the bracket's designed? <laughs> So mm-hmm. in world championships for your sport, was it yep. equal to, harder, or less than the Olympics? Uh, so I would say it's harder because it's harder because there's more competition. Okay, so because the Olympics, you can't bring every country in, right? You can't have you can't have um, you know you can't have two hundred and ten countries competing, right? It's just it's just not physically impossible. It's too many people, logistics are, are, are too like out there. And so that's why every Olympic sport has a qualifying, right? And you've got to have qualifying standards, qualifying times. There's only, you know, you take the 100 metres, for example, what, you're only allowed four people from, like, the US or something or whatever it is. You know, so, so that's it, right? But you guys could have, like, the top 10. Easy, you know, and, and that's what happens. And so when you go to the world champs, there's, there's more numbers that can come. So with rowing, uh, quite often we'd have 25 to 32, 36 one year in the pair. But at the Olympics, there's only um, 15. Yeah. You know, so so you are still taking the 15 best, but at the end of the day, you're like, what about all these other turkeys that could have been here racing? You know, and, and so it is, it's harder because of, yeah, well, that's it. And it's harder because of the level of, of, of what's actually at stake, right? And that's the thing. It's like... I, most you could talk to most people in any sport, and they would trade every single medal they ever won at any event for that Olympic one. Yeah. So, uh, oh, yeah. Just, just to give you a heads up, I I don't know how much you know about my career, but I've been running for a living for the past twelve years and all these crazy different events. And the one thing I never did, I've won world titles and so many different things. I was like, I need to go to the Olympics. I need to see if I'm really got what it takes. <laughs> and I studied rowing, I studied wrestling, I studied things that I thought I'd do well in, and then I came upon olympic canoeing i was like i've always been a really good individual athlete i studied like the actual height of these athletes the weight of these athletes the power output the vo2 max everything and i was like if i thread the needle on this this is the one sport i can get in so i bought the boat i moved to san diego i started training with the team (laughs) and i just misunderstood the qualifying thing and by the time 
I'd already been there for a couple months. The coach is like, yeah, so the qualifiers are like coming up now. And I was like, what? And I completely missed the opportunity to qualify. And I was like, I, I, my dreams crumbled, but I would do, I would, would let go of all my world titles for an Olympic. Like, I don't know if I even get medals, but to participate, that would be one of those kind of things where it's, it's harder than Harvard and Stanford and Cambridge and all of the hardest degrees combined to get to that Olympic standard is like the rarest thing I think uh, in the entire world. Oh yeah, man. It's, and that's the thing is like, I've always looked, and I probably got later in my career, you know, um, one, you know, once we were sort of matured and into it, it's, it's all about, everything's about data and statistics, right? It's, you know, no matter what you're doing, it's like, if you break everything down into statistical anomalies and, and, just what needs to happen, days, training days, training time, hours, rest time, everything. It's just numbers, right? And it's just all you've got to do is get that. You get that number. If you get that number game right and you get it in the in the right recipe, it's like you've got a really good shot at success. And then you take the other attributes around it, which is your attitude and, and how you deal with stress and anxiety, um, and you've got a very good shot at being successful. Yeah. So I got a question – what the hell is with the New Zealand? Like, why are you guys such beasts? I mean, by <laughs> population and size, you're one of the smallest countries in the world, but you guys <laughs> clean the clock through rugby. You clean the clock in, in rowing. Like you very clearly have something in the water down there that I'm unaware of. Like you guys, your tanks, uh, is it a mentality? Is it a lifestyle? Is it genetics? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I wouldn't say it's genetic. I, I feel like it's, it's participation in sport was first and foremost, right? So at school, you know, when you're, you know, uh, secondary, well, I don't even know what it is for you guys. When you're sort of like 13 to 17, 13 to 18, sort of that, that secondary school for us, um, that is where you do a lot of sport, right? And so with rugby and other things, you start it early when you're a kid, say five, six, seven. Um, and so a lot of those sports are ingrained in you from day one, right? And everyone follows rugby. It's our national sport. Um, and so everyone wants to play rugby. Everyone wants to be an all black. It's just, it's just the way it is. It's your hopes and dreams as a young kid. Um, and then all the other Olympic sports start creeping in when you're in high school. Um, and you just, you just go from there. And I think there's some sports we do very well at because we've had success previously, right? And, and I'm a massive fan of success breeds success. Right. If you see somebody that's successful and they're doing well, you've got you've got the makings of of copying, emulating, carrying on from what they're doing, and the next minute you could be the same. You know, because there's no there's no one's like yeah okay. There's some superhuman people out there. Like there are right, and their physiology is slightly different. But at the end of the day, it's just numbers on a piece of paper, and it's like well, if they're doing that number, I just have to try and achieve that number as well. And so with New Zealand, we had some very very good rowers. Um, you know, we had a very good uh, stint through the 80s when it was very amateur. When it started becoming semi-professional, we had Rob Waddell, who won the Sydney Olympics, and then we had these twins that won in Athens and in, uh, in Beijing. So what you're doing is you're looking at them and going, well, this is what they're doing for training. This is what they're doing in the gym. These are the numbers. And so you look at it and go, well, if I can get close to that sort of stuff uh, in terms of like consistent speed on the water – then we have a very good opportunity of going well. And so when you start doing that yourself and you start getting the results, success breeds success. 
And I think that's one of the things is that there's no harm in copying other people, right? See what somebody's doing that's successful now and go, well, fuck, I'll just do the same. And then, and then, and, and adjust it to you and the way that you are and, and your personality. But at the end of the day, someone else has done it and they just found the recipe and it's like, fucking copy them, like copy them, do the same. And, and if you can't handle it, it's like, oh, okay, shit, I, I need to work on this. And that's all we ever did. And that's all I ever did as a kid coming through it. Just, you sit on the machine next to some guy who's you know in the team and you're like, oh, those are the numbers you're hitting. And you try and hit them. And when you're younger, you're like, no shot. But then as you get better and better and you're starting to cons consistently hold the same sort of like watts and, and power as this guy, you're like, oh, now I'm starting to become an equal. And then all you've got to do is be like, how do I push past the equalness to yep. become better? You know, and, and that's all it is. Everything plus one. So all those books over in the corner over there are just books of athletes that I was obsessed with. I'd either find their biography, I'd find their coach, I'd find something about them and I'd just read their book. And I was like, I, I'm going to find out what the heck they're doing. What are they eating? Where are they sleeping? What what bike do they ride? What what do they row? And yeah, I just it's a copycat game. Um, it, it out, is. Out of curiosity. I got, a quick, I got a quick question, Hunter. So the, the amount of time and energy and effort that you put into all your training, you said it's a 1,400-day you know, uh, training cycle on getting back to the Olympics, and you think <laughs> about all the hard work that you put into it and the skill level that it takes to propel yourself you know, for what you did. And then you look at a sport like curling, and, and do, you, do you feel like there's – you know that it, it's, it's so much uh, – it's it's great to get to the Olympics and it's so hard to get to the Olympics and the skill set that you have to get there and the hurdles that you took. But then you look at a, uh, a sport like curling and you're like, well, you know, the skill level that they have to get there, it's it's not the same steps. Is, is there any type of bitterness oh, like, or, or like these people got to the Olympics? They yes, they're in the sport and they're great in the sport, but the skill set that I have it just feels like it's it, the, the scales are, are weighed a little bit easier to get in for a sport that doesn't require as much skill as, is yep. there like butting heads when you see these people? No, no. I think the thing is that what you're looking at is you're looking at skills. There's the, the thing when you, when you look at skills and you break it down, there's, there's skill sets on physicality, you know, and, and, you know, fit like the fitness and that type of thing. But at the end of the day, one of the biggest skills that I think is very, very underrated is consistency. Okay, yep. because if you're, if you're consistent at what you're doing, you don't have to be the best all the time, right? But you don't want to be yo-yoing between getting first in a competition and then 15, you know? Whereas if you're in the top five all the time, you don't have to be fucking winning it all the time. You've got to be there, right? You've just got to have a sniff, right? You've got to have the, be fucking holding on to someone's coattails, you know, holding on to that, that flag football, you know? You've got to just have a hand on it, ready to pull it out when you need to. And I think that's the biggest thing is when you've got that, and you understand that, that's when you've got the best opportunity of, of going well. Do you have any athletes, I have this in my questions, were there athletes that you met through the Olympics and going to the village all the time? You're like, fuck those guys. <laughs> Did you have any beef from different countries, no, different no, sports? Uh, Nothing? Yeah. No, not really. No, all the, just all the ones making money, and we're like sitting there, povo, being like, "Man, we get paid fuck all to do this," you know. And you're looking at some people going, but it's just the global nature of a sport, right? You know, there's there are some, and and rowing's just not hugely marketable. You know, it's like there is, you know, it's not like someone's going to say, "Hey, Eric, come and you know sell my boats, and I'll give you a hundred grand." And and that's what it is, right? Everything comes down to to markets, um, what people see to be. 
uh, mutual beneficial, you know, in terms of, of how you can work for us, the synergies between them. Um, and so, like, sometimes I just look at it and go, well, if I, if I had put my energy and stuff to something else, would I have been as good? I don't know. Um, you know, if we, I'll tell you what, if we had lived in America and we'd been Americans, fuck, we would have been massive. You know, like, that's the whole thing, you know. And so that's, that's just what it comes down to. But at the end of the day, I think a lot of people got to realize you find something because you enjoy it and you love it and give it a go. Um, and we just, we just took it and it, like the obsession basically just spiraled out of control. Um, and, and then next minute you've, you've got opportunities to, to do something that, that very, very few people are able to do. Um, and we, we did it justice. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Did you, who was the biggest freak that you ever met? Like who was the biggest beast of any sport, your sport, whatever it is, like, did you ever meet that um, Russian wrestler they called the Bear, who won like 670 wrestling matches, only oh, lost two? Uh no, no. But the, it's funny because the Olympics is we, we're the the best place at the Olympics, right? Is the food hall? No, not for yep. the fact that there's heaps of food, <laughs> but it's like a freak show, right? And so you sit. We used to sit there for hours, and you'd like be having lunch, and you got nothing else to do because you're either just going to be sitting in your fucking room doing nothing. And, and so you'd sit there and be like, mm. and then you'd look at people come in and you'd be like, what do you reckon? What sport? And, and so some of them are very, very easy, right? You'd be like, oh, she doesn't look 16. She must be a gymnast, you know? And then, and then you'd have these tall women come in. You'd be like, volleyball, water polo, you know, or, or was it basketball? And then you'd see the sprinters come in with their bubble butts and you'd be like, she a sprinter, you know? Yeah. And, and, and you'd see the swimmers, you know, they're quite big shoulders and, and everything. You'd be like, oh, I think that's, and then you could see the runners. You'd be like, oh man, she hot. She got a nice ass, you know, and, and, and it was basically, that was just how it was. Um, and yeah. And so when you look at it, not too much beef, because at the end of the day, I think you respect your opposition. And, and I've always been somebody that respected my opposition every time I went out there. You know, I never looked across and went, like you, we're going to kick your ass today. You know, like that was in, that was in here. But at the end of the day, I was like, we have to execute what we need to otherwise, whatever. And I don't know if that's just a little bit of humbleness or whatever, but, that was that was the way that we looked at it. Um, I guess in terms of like the freak show type of thing, um, yeah, not really. I think what and what 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 used to tip my boat, like I, I guess float the boat a little bit, was the fact that you could see people and go, "I know what you've done," and it's pretty incredible, right? You know, even when you'd see Usain Bolt in the village or something, you'd be like, "How the fuck do you run that fast, pal?" You know, like you'd just be like, "It's incredible," and then you'd see. Um, you'd see some of the heptathletes and, you know, I saw Damian Warren in there somewhat uh, one time. And I'm like, you just, he just looks like a standard guy, but man, what he can do. You're just like, this is, this is incredible. Um, you know, and to be fair, I think one of the, un one, one of the most underrated physiological specimens, specimens was my peers partner, Hamish. Like his, oh, dude, I think his, his scores are insane on the bike and everything. He's a freak. Uh, so, and and he's, he's 90 kilograms, right? So what? He's not even pushing 200 pounds, like whatever. But his, he never had massive, like, power in terms of, like, he's real powerful, right? He couldn't smash the watts. But what he could do is he could hold uh, an incredible amount of watts for an incredible amount of time. And so his physiology in terms of that was just next level, man. It was just off the chain. You know, he'd sit next to me like, you know, we, we were we were basically on par with each other on training sessions, right? We're sitting on the on the rowing machine holding three, three twenty-five watts for like an hour. And he's he's next to me and I'm ten kilograms heavier and I'm like, mate, I should be kicking your ass. 
but his physiology, he was just cruising along. And I'm like, wow. But then you put on sprint mode and he's nowhere near me, you know? So that's the thing is, is like, you've got your physiology in so many different ways and he next level, right? And that's how he switched over to the bike. Now he's back, he went back rowing. Now he's on the America's Cup boat. So he's going to be doing the like Team New Zealand. Um, and uh, awesome. and uh, yeah, so amazing. All right, so what was like, were you a big VO2 max guy or were you a big lactate threshold kind of guy? Uh, so we, we only really started getting into a lot of this like really deep science stuff in our second Olympic cycle because our first Olympic cycle, our coach was a bit of an asshole and he was just like miles make champions, um, you know, just work hard. And we didn't do a lot of, we did a little bit of lactate testing, but not a lot. In our early days, we did a lot, probably every six weeks and you just did a, a step test. Um, and so you could find your sort of two millimole, four millimole training zones relate it to heart rate and relate it to power. And then you've got like really good things to go by for training. In our second cycle, we started doing VO2. Um, and then we also started doing some lactate threshold. I think one of, one of, one of the hardest sessions I ever did, top, it's in, definitely in the top three, was our physiologist said to us, he goes, I want you to do seven one-minute pieces. And I was like, ah, easy, easy, here we go. And he goes, no, no, they are, they are absolute max, 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 max from the first thing. And I, I think in cycling, yeah, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure the, like, the terminology of it. They do it in cycling where you just absolutely fucking go. And so I said, right, well, fill me in. Do you, want, do you want an average split or do you want the lowest split? And he goes, I want you to hit the lowest split you can and hold it for as long as you can. And he goes, you've got a minute. And I was like, okay. So I'm, I jump on the machine. I'm hitting like 110, 111, and I've got to hold it for as long as I can. And, and then you have, so you do one minute piece and then you had a five minute break. I hit 22 and a half millimole at the very end of it. Wow, dude, your body was just... Uh, like oh, basketball. yeah, and it, and, it took, and it took me like probably two to three days to recover from. Like, I was sick. I was like, I've never felt like this in my life. But the fact was that you were just absolutely draining the body and, and lactic acid and all the fucking hydrogen lines and everything else. And you were just like, man, I can't move. And then you've got to do it again. And so by the time I'd hit the last one, I didn't want to be there. But of course, mind over matter. And then after that, this is the one thing is I don't think people go deep enough in their training. After that, guess what? Every session was like, ah, ain't going to be anywhere near what we did with that one. And, and that's it. That's the goal. Fuck, dude. That is absolutely <laughs> crazy. <laughs> yeah. You mentioned the Olympic Village a lot. And uh, are there any crazy stories that happen within there that uh, are, are oh. good storytelling? Well, Every, everyone goes, like, I don't know if you guys are the same, but there's always that media article, right, about the 10,000 condoms and all oh, that yeah. sort of stuff. Well, that's what I was going for. Oh, yeah. We'll see. If, that, if that's true, I'm, I'm really disappointed that I never got invited to any of those orgies because that would have been fun. Uh, you know, yeah. like, um, yeah, it's, it's a, it is an interesting place. And it, it's just, as I say, it's a, it's a freak show. But at the same time, when you, when you walk in there and you just, and there's energy, right, there's just there's fucking this buzz around it. Because you're just looking at people and you're like, oh, you you know, you're a athlete or you're, you know, oh, swimmer, you know, and you, and you see them in the flesh and you're like, oh, there's Roger, you know, and it's like, oh, there's Dokovic. You know, and so they're all there and, and some of them are getting mobbed because, you know, they're massive superstars, that type of thing. But at the same time, everyone's there. Everyone is there because they want to win the Olympic Games. Mm -hmm. And that's as simple as it goes, right? It's You get this opportunity once every four years and it's like every everyone in any sport has turned up 
hopefully on their game, ready to be like, I am the best. And and when you look back on it from, from years gone by, that was what the Olympic Games was about, right? It was about taking the best people and seeing who would become the best for that Olympiad. And that's it. And so I love the energy around it. You know, like I, I the first Olympics was just like, fuck, mind blowing. Like, wow, where, what am I doing? And then, then you got better at it and you controlled it until the point where you go into it and you're quite, you know, you're, you're the favorites. And, and so everything just becomes like you calm yourself down. You know, you know that there's this, all this show going on. Like everywhere you go, whether you go into your village or whether you go into like your, your sporting venue, it's airport security, right? Airport security every time. Bag in the fucking x-ray scanner, you know, check it all out. People are looking at you. They might be buzzed. They frisk you down. And you're just like, wow, I've got to do this every single time I walk through a fucking building or into a into a venue. And and so all of that becomes part of what you're doing, but that's that's the Olympics, right? And that's what you sign up for. And that's why I think a little bit about you don't tend to find like there's some good stats around it, but there's you don't tend to find people turning up to their first Olympics and being successful. Because there's just too much going on, you know, and, and it is very difficult. Yeah, there are people that win in their first Olympics, don't get me wrong. But at the end of the day, I think it takes a little bit of experience and understanding of what the event's like and, you know, the holdups and the travel, you know, it's like, fuck, we're traveling 50 minutes on a bus to get to your venue every day, there and back. And it's like, do you stay there? Do you come back and then do another 50 minute one way and back again? You know, and there's all of that that comes with, with being at the Olympics, but it's just part of such a massive event, you know, 10,000 athletes, 30,000 media, like everything else that's going on with it. And, and that's it. Wow, dude. Uh, I think a lot of people will geek out on this and including myself, like I want to just get into the weeds on some of your training stats. So for somebody like you, like you said, the first coach of yours was like miles win races. What was like the volume, whether you want to say distance or hours, like what was the volume of a typical week? Uh, The, the typical week was like, Oh, a minimum 12 sessions to 14 sessions. It was six days. Um, we'd sometimes squeeze three in a day. Um, we're sort of doing 220 on average kilometers. So every, every row used to be like an average row was 20 to 22 kilometers. Just because of the lake we were going on, there was a bridge at 11 k's up one way. And the coach would just be like, right, go to the bridge. Um, and so with us, we did a lot more on water rowing. As I said, his, his philosophy was like, um, you're going to get faster by being faster than you are by being stronger. And so we sort of cut back right on the weights and we just did so much rowing and we just perfected our craft. And I think it, it was very good um, we, because we found the balance. So when we were first in the, in the crew together, we had really good power because we were strong and we were spending heaps of time in the weights room so we could get out in front of races and then control it from there. But then later on, we sacrificed the lead at the start to the fitness in the middle. So seven days, yeah, sorry, six days, we always got Sunday off. I don't know why. I'm not religious. Um, and I'd love to have trained on the weekend and had one day during the week, to be fair. Um, but it was just how it rolled. And uh, we'd have sort of one week off a year. There was no such thing as public holidays. We would stop on the 23rd. We'd always do the like the hour roam test or like something on the on the 23rd and then we'd be back on the 27th of December. Christmas? We'd just right. Wow. Oh yeah. yeah. So we I had saw, like two I or three days. I saw your 60 oh. minute test, dude. You did, you were holding 135 to 137 then dropped to 132 for the last 500. That's such a gross session. 
Like- uh, yeah. Oh, mate. Yeah, that video I sent, it's wild. Like, we, yeah, we, we were basically, you know, because I was like, oh, we've got to do this hour test. Why not? Well, instead of just fucking doing it, is there a world record? And I was like, yeah, right. Eh? And so I looked at it and I was like, oh, at f- well, 136 and a half. I was like, I can beat that. And of course, you know, you just keep the rating up, tap it along. Um, boom, you know, 18. 18,700 or whatever the hell it was at 135 and something distance. And I was like, wow, it's wild. Um, but that was it, right? It was just what we tried to do. It was just how it was just, that was us. It was our training. Um, so were you, uh, so you were basically putting in three to four hour days? Yeah. Well, pretty much the thing is we're, we're basically full time. Well, we were full time. So yep. the one thing that gets left a little bit is that we're putting probably four hours of like physical training in yep. terms of like time on the water, in the gym, but it's the hours outside of it. It's turning up. You can't just turn up and jump on the boat. You know, it's turning up. There's half an hour of like on the, on the row, I get 10, 15, 20 minutes in, get a bit of a sweat going, do some, you know, bit of, bit of stretching, you know, bit of movement, freedom stuff, roll yourself out, whatever it was. And then it's the same when you come off the other end and then there's nutrition and then they're sitting there doing some analysis and then there's physio or there's massage and then it's fucking back into it again. And then, so it's your whole day. It becomes your career and that's why it's funded because ain't no way we could do what we were doing if it was not funded, right? Because you'd just be like, I need a job. Like, how am I going to pay my bills? Okay, um, I've, been, and so I've been hustling like that ever since <laughs> I've been 20. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But that, and that's the difference is you start off with this sort of amateur style and then once you can click over or once you get that funding, man, life just, life just becomes easier. And even when I was a youngster and, and even in our first couple of years, I figured out, I was like, I need to do, I need to do 22 hours a week to pay all my bills. And so I was working part time to do like 22 hours and then yeah, job done. So are you, uh, before your pro, you obviously had to get a, uh, a job elsewhere, but then yeah. once you turn pro and you're official pro, is it government funded to where you're a government paid employee? And then that's why they tell you, you train yeah, huh. no, not, not really. We're not, and, and we're contractors. So of course we're sort of like, you know, they, they have money available and it's meant to be like a, a grant. So then they can tax it. Um, you know, and so that's that's just the model of what we did was because they didn't want to like give money to it. They just wanted to be like, this is how it's going to be. Hmm. So I I heard a rumor that you didn't, like you kind of alluded to this, but like you did not strength train. Someone messaged me as like, how did you do it without strength training? You didn't strength train in like the later years? Yeah, really interesting scenario. And so what happened, as I said, we we – we, we had been like, don't get me wrong, we've been doing big weights, right, and, and specifics and, and doing every, you know, changing between endurance style and then some strong, you know, power work and, and just in, in all the different phases of your, of your training cycles. And then we, we had a, like, probably two, two and a half years into our, into our like, care training. The, um, the co- literally, we turned up for a meeting and the coach goes, we're going to drop doing weights and we're going to do them out on the water. So what we do is we take a hose pipe, you know, garden hose. You and drag you, it you in the water. Ra- yeah, no, well, you wrap it around the boat and then you had like little clips on it and so clip on the side of the boat. And so it's basically just creates drag, like heavy drag. So every stroke you take, it's like you take the stroke and then the boat just goes <laughs> down in the water and then you take another stroke. And so there's, there's loading, there's strength. So what he was like is like, we're going to do, we're going to do three or four of these a week because I want you to get strong in the rowing shape, right? 
we don't need to be doing bench press. We don't need to be doing shoulder press. We need to like do what we need to. And we did some stuff outside of it to balance it out because, of course, if you're all if you're just leaning one way all the time, you obviously need to balance out the other side. So we did some we did a little bit of stuff, but no no specific weight training. Um, so we did a lot more of that on the water and then just fitness. And so I feel like we lost a little bit of size. But what happened was we sacrificed because in a rowing race you want some power at the start. But then it's all endurance. It's just all like how hot, how fast can you hold it through the middle of the race, which is what we became so good at. We we could hold a pace that no one could sustain. That we like when in our in in our later years, and I did all the stats while we were in COVID, right? While everyone's locked down, I took all our data from all our races. In the first couple of years, there was only two times we were not in front after the first quarter of the race. Um, by the time we hit our like second cycle going through to Rio. I think there was only two times we were in front, you know, and so what we did is we just sacrificed the speed at the start of the race for the endurance through the middle. And so we just changed our physiology, right? We found something that was better. And we were in a we were in a boat where technique matters more than power. So if we had been in an eight, we would have been wasting our time. We wouldn't have had the power that was needed to, to propel, you know, yeah. 90 kilograms and, and 900 guys, 900 kgs of guys, you know, it's, it's like... It's like two thousand pounds of guys and boat and that, and you got to you got to propel it, um, and that was what we did. Is that we just needed a bit more finesse than we did that, and so yeah, we didn't we didn't spend time in, in the gym, but that was but our fitness level and and we, you got to remember one of the biggest things when we're on the water like row, like rowing, we ain't just fucking paddling along. We're trying to hit like numbers, like speed numbers that yep. will be dictated like eighty watts, all that kind of stuff, everything. Yep, and so we're like we've got to push it, and so all of a sudden you get very, very good at pushing the speed that you need to day in, day out. So what? And we had a magical number; it was eighty percent of our world record speed. So if we could train Held at eighty percent of the world all the time, yeah, uh, well that was the goal, right? So for what, for what any like session, you didn't do just like easy days where it's like la di da, blah 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 blah. Just no, nah. just like fuck this. So if world record pace is one thirty splits. You're doing like 150s or something like that? Yeah, pretty much. All the time. That was the goal. Yeah, so you'd warm up into it, and then, of course, you'd be like, right, we're going to do 10K or 12K. We're going to go from this point to this point because you can't do it for the whole 20. But there was numbers, time that we wanted to hit, and then, of course, it, that all came down to um, like numbers in terms of like specific training zones, TSS scores. I don't know if you guys get into all of that, but – you know, our physiologist was was tracking everything. And then at the end of the week, he'd go, man, you guys have done a lot of training in zone two, right, in your heart rate zones, um, or you've done too much in zone one. Um, we didn't want to do that much this time. And I think that's one of the things for any athlete out there and anyone looking for it. I'd like, I've been talking to – I talked to a couple of ladies that I knew uh, in the American rowing team, and they, they came back and um, were trying to qualify. They went to, they went to um, Tokyo, and they've been trying to go back to, to Paris and stuff. And I said, are you guys using a physiologist? Because I said, you're getting older. You need to start tracking all your stuff. And they're like, nah. And I was like, I can't, I, I literally cannot underestimate how important a physiologist is. If you can get hold of a good physiologist that tracks data, takes um, heart rates, even, um, even tracking heart rate variability, so laying in bed in the morning, putting your heart rate on, and Do you tracking guys use what microwaves? you're. Nah, oh, no, nah, well, see, I left it all up to the physiologist, right? Yeah. So he was he was just tracking TSS scores, 
training data, like everything else, and and then they tell you how much load you're doing, whether it's a sustainable load, whether it's okay for this week, whether we need to back off next week. Um, and I think that's one of the most important things is, is having that physiologist because at the end of the day, it's a lot of it's just science. I know that you, everybody's individual and you need to push it a little bit, but at, at the same time, as if they start looking at like what we used, like the HRV, which is your heart rate variability, and if it starts to plateau a little bit for like a, a day or a week or a week and a half, the physiologist will go, you guys are taking two or three days off. Because he's like, your body's, your body's going to start to go into an overtraining mode and you're not going to get any benefit out of it. So, you know, if you're tracking that stuff, and that's why you get all these people who are humming, right, and they're on fire, and then all of a sudden they lose pace or they lose speed or they lose strength, yeah. and you're like, it's, it can be overtraining, but you don't know unless you're tracking it. So some of the stuff's very, very simple, and there's apps that track HRV and there's tracks that, apps that track your TSS and all the other stuff. I think they're a little bit underutilized. Uh, I mean, it's become very big. There's a company called Whoop, and I feel like mm. the CEO would probably hire to have me killed at this point. But I don't think the company does that great of a job. Uh, uh, it's it's the most like primary company in the world right now for it. I used a company called Omega Wave, and I was working with this guy who was a Nordic uh, national Nordic ski coach, and he was just he was just t- testing me every single morning, and we got this baseline formula where I recognized my, my routine all the time. Like it was almost unstoppable, but I never ended up overtraining. So I didn't get data any longer than three months, but it was very interesting. I, I question. So 80% was kind of your go-to. How often were you going hard every week? Oh, uh, the, the week, the week, the thing is we tested ourselves twice a week. Okay. Yeah. So the, the typical week, if we go back to that question, you know, Monday to Saturday, we would do some sort of test on a Wednesday and on a Saturday. Okay, now that could have been could have been five hundred repeats. It could have been thousands. It could have been five k. Could have been ten k. Just depending on the cycle, and it was all at specific stuff. So it could be open rate. So you know, go go for gold, go hard, guys. Um, or it could be like right, we're going to cap it at about thirty thirty two. So hopefully you're just below sort of you know threshold stuff. You're sort of in that lactate production you know area and that type of thing um and so we, we just had that was the program but what it did was it, it start you started to understand how fast you were going because we're we're, we're ranking all the stuff on the world record things so if you were like we're going to do four thousand meters today and you went out there and they're all say 98 99 you're like that's pretty good because we're consistent right we go back to that consistency thing um if you did the first one at 100 then 98 96 94 you're like fuck man we're not fit you know, we can, we can do one, but we can't do three or four. And when the whole idea with rowing is to go to an event and do three, maybe four races in a row, you've got to be consistent, you know. It's, and, and most events are the same. If you're in running, it's like there's got to be a heat, then there's a semi, then there's a final. And, and you've got to be able to repeat those with limited break or whatever break is there. Um, and that was it. So we'd have those testing and, and ranking. So we'd like – We'd, everybody would see where they were, which is what made the strength of our team, going right back to that, why the hell is New Zealand so good, was the fact that you could spit out an A4 sheet of paper, chuck it on the wall, someone had a very good percentage at the top, and then everybody's ranked underneath that. Uh, and you'd be like, shit, if Eric and Hamish are doing 98% for this 4K or whldever it was, and everyone else is doing 96, 95, you'd be like, well, they're winning medals when they go overseas. Where does that put us in our event? Does that make us in a final? Is it not in a final? Are we at the same? Are they beating us? And so it just gave you confidence in your training to be like, we're on the right track. 
Because at the end of the day, we're sitting down here in New Zealand for nine, ten months a year, and we only get to go overseas and race other competition in our winter, which is like Northern Hemisphere summer. And that's the only time. We can't just fucking get on a plane and go back and forth because it's too hard and you don't have the money and you don't have the, the facilities to do it. If we did, it would be great. Um, but that was what we did. And so we did all our training down here virtually blind. And, and when I mean blind, we don't have anyone else to compare ourselves against, only numbers on paper. And But the numbers on paper, you get them right and they do correlate to what you're actually doing when you when you turn up to an event yeah i i i get it i mean it's interesting the the whole thing you were talking about when we first started this is social media is this there's all this this like jockeying for position mental games that everyone's doing everyone's kind of putting their dick on the table like oh look at me i'm moving this weight or look how lean and i am but you never know what it's going to be like until you show up at the competition like everybody these days is is the social media allows a lot of filters. It allows you to cut the videos exactly where you want to. What's that? That's your lactate right now, or is that your lactate? No, nah, no, nah, that was that was that was one of that was one of the tests. Yeah, twenty points. I was about to say, I was like, that's not possible. You'd be dying. That's, uh, <laughs> I, I did, I did fucking feel like I was dying. Don't worry about that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, just for like bro's sake, because I'm curious, like when you were lifting weights, like. What was your bench press? What was your deadlift? What was your squat? Like, were you a strong athlete or were you just a giant with a big set of lungs? Uh, I feel like I was more of a giant with a big set of lungs. Thing is, we didn't, we didn't, with, we did very specific sort of rowing stuff. So we'd do like bench pull, you know, you're yep. on a bench and you pull that okay. up. I th yeah, I think at one stage, I think my max was about 110. So what's that? Like two, 230, 240 pounds or something. Yeah. yeah. Um, Leg press, we probably got that into the uh, high 200 somewhere. Um, I know my squatting, I remember squatting 150 at probably at my strongest, yep. but consistently around, you know, like on most training times, 100, 100, 120 kgs, you know, but you're talking six to eight, you know, you're not talking sort of one-offs. Um, yep. And, you know, we do seated row mainly, a little bit of shoulder press, a little bit of stuff to like to do it, but that was, you know, as I say, everything's very, very rowing specific because that was that was what we were trying to do. One of, and this is the crazy part, is in the first couple of years with the coach, because he's a fucking psycho, um, we used to do endurance weights, right? So, and I'm talking leg press, 80 reps. Yeah. And I'm like, what the fuck? And so you'd chuck on, you'd chuck on like, about 80 kgs and, and you would run, you, you would fatigue out before you would, like, you know, you were like, oh, this is a piece of cake and you'd be pumping long and you'd be like, there's 10, there's 20, there's 30 and you'd be like, oh, fuck, this is starting to get a pinch on and then you'd sort of have to stop for a bit and you'd suck it up and so you'd basically just lactate out before you would like, you know, like, but you'd be like, I could do way more but it was just more the fact that the coach was a massive fan of like, well, if you're going to be doing 250 strokes in a rowing race, you're better off to be looking at that rather than your five or 10 stroke max. I like yep. um, power max, right? Cause what, what's, what's the point in that? I do uh, once a season, a 20 rep back squat routine. Okay. And like for me, just through like all my studying with our sport, like you're going into events and you're having to ha hold tension on like a very heavy sled for three minutes. So when I'm doing a 20 rep back squat, I'm putting on anywhere from, 120 to like 140 K 
and doing 20 squats. And I'm not doing a lot of volume that time of year, just a lot of easy stuff. Um, and it did a tremendous amount of work for me, kind of like the 80, the theory of the mm. 80 rep thing. But um, as I've gotten older, I'm only 34. I don't mess around with the stuff that I used to when I was younger. I don't just like put plates on the bar all the time like I used to because it's just it's too deadly for me. I'm actually I'm pretty um I'm I'm pretty safe now. I almost, almost feel like a rollerblader with all like the knee pads on. I get on the spin bike <laughs> in the morning for like 90 minutes to get started, 60 minutes to get started, and then I go start doing my interval sessions and everything yep. like that. Like what did you recognize when you were rowing like 25 versus 35 like what were the major differences for your changes of like those first olympic cycles versus the last ones uh yeah the the body the body seems to bounce back like and it was and you felt bulletproof uh yeah and then uh, literally i i do feel like you fucking hit 30 it's like you wake up on fucking 30th birthday and you're like oh uh, oh man but sort of day. And, and that was it. And so we got a lot smarter with, with what we were trying to do. And, and, and as I say, like before that, yeah, we're trying to like, I'd sit on the row machine and, and you'd be doing some like pieces and then you try and max the fucking thing out and you'd be like, what? And, and you'd be like, you know, and, and, and it was fun, you know, it was like, I'm going to fucking show my strength to the other boys and, you know, cock out type of thing as you're saying. But yeah. then you started being like, well, what's the point? I ne- when am I ever going to be using this max? Like, no one gives a shit. And yeah. then you'd be like, okay, what am I? What do I need to do? And it's like, well, I need to sustain power for like, you know, good period of time. So then you drop that real like, I guess, dang- is it dangerous? What's the word? Dangerous or risky? Risky is the word, right? Where you like, fuck, I could hurt myself here if I and if I get an injury here, fuck, it's going to take me a while to recover from. Um, we just dropped all of that and it was just like, let's just find what we need to for our sport and what is it? Endurance, right? So we still yeah. need to have like some, you still need to be like working on that strength in different ways, which was on the water, um, you know, on the rowing machine. Sometimes we ch- you chuck the damper up if you're doing some sessions. Um, so you still need to, to hold that stability and everything else. But at the same time, you decide, I don't need to be doing that. Um and it just all came down as well to that physiology and being like, well, what, what suits me now? And I think we got fitter. And I think I think it wasn't until about 32, 33, 34. Um, I, really, I reckon I was at my, my peak. I reckon 34. Before we went to Rio, man, the numbers, the consistent numbers that I was producing, like on the rowing machine, on the bikes, uh, for testing, you know, I'm basically equaling my PB from when I was like 27, 28. You know, but I've been consistent that whole period of time. But I'm like, I'm 34 and I'm doing a, a 541 on the rowing machine, you know, for 2K. And I'm like, in March, you know, not even in, in peak time. And I'm like, money, like we're, we're, we're fit, man. We're, we've, got, we've got good fitness. Let's refine everything else. Bob's your uncle. I think also another thing that people just don't get, and we kind of been shooting the shit about this from the start, is like that, that mindset. Like eventually your brain just gets like a layer of leather over top of it. You're like, Fuck it. Like I, I burnt this thing so many times. It, it's got another layer of skin over the top of it that most people just don't have. So when you're at that 540 range, you're just like, I've been here so many times. I've created a groove in my brain that just lets me to sit here. And now uh, that I'm yeah, older, much. I feel it. I'm like, gosh, darn, I, I'm, I'm fine. I, I can suck it up. I'll accept it. Uh, yeah. And that's uh, Yeah. I think we're, we're exactly. Yeah, that's that's exactly how it worked. Hang on, someone's at my door. Give me a second. Yeah, go ah. ahead, dude. 
This guy is my favorite. Uh, Lucas, uh, he's not only an athlete, he's a two-time gold medalist. Two-time Olympic gold medalist, eight-time world champion. I mean, he's a <laughs> I mean, he's as freaky as it gets. Packages, eh? Packages at the hey, door. Hey, dude, no one does like package. <laughs> What's up, guys? Thank you so much for tuning in. So I know you love the media, but we are not a media company. We're actually a supplement company. So if you guys love working out, which I'm assuming you do because you're watching this video right now, you're going to want to have the right products to support the work that you're doing, guys. So scoop for scoop, rep for rep, race for race, guys, we have the products you're looking for. Whether you need hydration, strength, pre-workout, check out Builder Sports, and you guys are going to like what you find. I mean, obviously you were doing a shit ton of work and your event's six minutes long. You're putting in 20 plus hours a week. My event's an hour long and I'm trying to break over 20 hours every week. It's crazy. People do not understand the capacity of volume that's necessary just to even the size of your event. There's obviously another side of this story that, you know, had to have been very massive for you, which is nutrition. Like you're a tank, dude. Like you basically are a six foot five trash compactor. Like what was... What was the volume of food? How what many was calories a day? Yeah, well, were you tell me about your lifestyle, man. I want to know. 10,000, 10K calories? Uh, was it all yeah, I, the honey? We, uh, nah, we, I, I've got to say, we didn't, like, I wasn't super religious about my, like, intake. I just tracked my weight and I tracked my feeling and I'd be like, you know, and, and I think once you get into a routine, right, and it, for us, nutrition was the, the most important thing about nutrition is timing right it's when you when you eat to fuel the fire and when you fuel the fire again after you've finished right and so we'd finish we would be having like you know gels um you know carb shots and stuff out on the water um we get off the water and it's straight into protein straight into some food to start the recovery process and then you'd like sort out your boats and all that sort of stuff so as soon as you've brought heart rates back to levels, it's like eat, right? And then it's like, and then eat again. And then, okay, we're training at two o'clock. So I need to be having a really good meal just before 12, right? Two hours. So you've got enough food. So then while you're doing it, it's thing. So everything was timing. And at the same time, it's hard because you're like, uh, yeah, I'm, I don't, I'm not hungry. I'm tired. I can't put any fuel in, you know? And so that's where tracking the weight. And if you fall asleep on the couch instead of getting up, so a lot of it came down to, to like just the timing um, and that's what we, we found worked, right? And sometimes you'd be like, you know what, oh, we've had a massive session and so you're just driving home and you're like, fuck, I'm going to get a bag of chips, you know, and a bottle of Coke and it's like, I don't give a shit. I just need calories to help like get me through this part and so that's when you do it but because you know you're burning so much, that was just how it worked and at the end of the day, it was just being smart, right? You don't have to be like super... Oh, we were never super like, oh, I've got to have all the specialty food and bullshit. It was just like get enough calories in, good food first, lots of vegetables, good proteins, good carbs. Catch you later, you know, potatoes, pastas, steaks, you know, chicken, lamb, fuck, whatever, fish. Just mix it up and, and just eat as much as you need to, you know, and that was it. And as long as your weight's staying the same, you're not losing a huge amount of weight, you know, we'd probably fluctuate probably – two kgs in a week, you know, from what you, from you weighed in on Monday morning to what you weighed in on Saturday morning. Sometimes there'd be a bit of discrepancies. Yeah. But you just track that along. And it's like if you turned up one day and you're three kgs lighter, you'd be like, fuck, did I drink enough water? Did I not? You know, like you'd be like, something's not right. Um, and so it's just tracking that sort of thing because at the end of the day, you lose weight quickly, you lose power, right? And yeah. so it's just like 
I, I was the type of guy that I had my break and I and I ballooned out to about 104, 105 kgs with all the beers and junk food and shit that I had. Um, and then I would spend the next nine months building it back down to, to 99, 100 kilograms that I'd race at. You know, I didn't have to get back to 100 kilograms and stay there for the whole period of time. I was somebody that, that sort of thought, well, if I've got a bit of reserve, if my, my fat's a little bit higher, is it slowing the boat down in training? Not really, right? If it was affecting our speed, I would have said 100%. I'll, I'll literally I'll knock all the shit back. You know, I'll cut the beers down. But that was the thing. It was just like I, I was, as long as we were producing results, as long as we were doing what we needed to, I knew that when you build into that big competition, you know, when you're six weeks out or whatever it is, you're like, right, I'm just going to be really, really strict here and that's all you need to do. And I think that's the thing is it's not like if you're strict all the time, I feel like, yeah, you have to be strict if you're a bodybuilder. Don't get me wrong. But at the same time, if you if you need to be building into a big competition, there's no point in being at your ideal weight now. You want to be like managing yourself so that if you do get sick, if you do get injured, you know, you've got a little bit to fall back on. You know, if you if you don't get to the recovery early enough, you know, you don't you're not gonna be like, Man, I'm I'm a flake. I'm this I'm fucked this afternoon, I'm gonna waste the training. You know, that's that's what it all comes down to. Do you are you like a supplement guy at all? Like, did you guys get on this stuff? Because I own a supplement company. I'm a freak about it. Like, we crank beta alanine, we crank creatine, we crank citrulline. Yeah. Like, did you? Did your team put you on that kind of stuff? We 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 experimented a lot with different things. Um, one of the biggest ones that we used to experiment with in racing and stuff was sodium bicarbonate. Yeah. Um, Ever make you but, sick though? Oh. Well, you mean you shit yourself? It <laughs> yeah. was horrific. Oh, yeah, it's horrific. Yeah. Oh, yeah. and like we at one point we were just like, is this, is this worth it? You know, it's like you're taking a, you know, a few capsules of bicarbonate and then you're burping and it feels like fucking acid. And then you're sitting there and you can't get off the toilet because you, your butt's just got water running out of it. And you're like, feel like you're going to spew and you're like, what the fuck am I doing? You know, yeah. and so there was there was a limit that you could go to, which was more like a beta alanine where it would where it would retain water, you know, and so that yes, like creatine, right? It's it's helping retain water, helps recovery, all the other stuff. And and so yeah, there's there's some very good benefits out of those things and we use them to a degree. Um, but apart from that, I was basically just like as long as I've got good carb shot, good protein, um, you know, I, I take like a multivitamin a day, you know, just to help make sure you balance it out. Thing is, yeah. we're outdoors, so we're getting a shit ton of vitamin D, vitamin E, um, you know, and it was just making sure. But the, at the same time, if you've got a good balanced diet, I think you're fine. Sometimes yep. a balanced diet's hard. Sometimes very hard. And so that's where, like, certain ones like that, yeah, that's, you know, you just, you've got to manage it and find out what's good for you. Some people used to just go through and be like, oh, I'm taking fucking, you know, I'm taking 400 milligrams of fish oil and I'm doing this and I'm doing this and I'm doing this and I'm like, okay. But at the same time, I think if you keep – one of the biggest things, and this goes through our training and stuff as well, is if you've got a massive amount of variables in yeah, your, more, your diet and your training – Well, yeah, but no, but at the same time, if it's successful, what is it? Is it the whole lot of them? Is it just one of them? Yeah. You know, and so that – and that's the thing. It's like you, you definitely know you need protein, right? You definitely know you probably need carb stuff if you're doing endurance. Yeah. Um, and so you're like, okay, I need those. But do you need a lot of the other stuff? Do you need it at this time? Do you not need it at this time? And so that's really the whole, this is the whole game with sport and physiology. It is literally trying to figure out how it looks and how to manage it and what's the recipe that's going to work for you. Because I could get you to do the same shit as I did. It might not work. 
you could do the same with me. You just don't know. And that's the whole thing is it's an experimentation to find what works for Hunter, what worked for Eric, and boom. Yeah. Appreciate Are it. you a fan of McDonald's? Yeah. I fucking love McDonald's. <laughs> oh, <laughs> the man, dude. I, McDonald's I sponsor us. McDonald's all the time. Aisha, so, Aisha gave me some McDonald's gift cards. So up until up until Rio, up until Rio, they always had a McDonald's in the Olympic Village. And and in the first couple that I went to, there was a full-on McDonald's in the food hall, right? And it's a ghost town. It's an absolute ghost town at the start of like the Olympics. By the end, ain't no one going anywhere else except McDonald's. And of course, limited menu. I think they had like they had quarter pounders, cheeseburgers, um, Big Macs, and then they had fries. Uh, maybe okay, hash browns and, and one other real, 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 yeah, nuggets, right? And the nuggets, nugget. and so that was that was it. And so, of course, uh, because they sponsored the Olympics, it was great. <coughs> so in Beijing, I was like, I'm going to try and do the hundred nugget challenge, right? Because it's free, it's fucking free. So I got this the, the the big container, and it was piled up with with all the boxes and nuggets. And I got through to 65 and I was like, I can't do any more. I fuck, I'm no way, I'm out. So I tapped out at like 65. And it was, you know, like that, that you know, that Super Size Me movie where the guy was like eating heaps and he's like, I got the sweats and I felt real bad. Yep. Um, yeah, I, I was like, I ate too many nuggets. I literally was like, this is wild. Yeah, but at the same time, at the same time, like I, I'll, I'll be blunt and open and honest as well, while I was training. I didn't stop eating McDonald's. I didn't stop drinking beers. Like I'm not drinking or eating to excess, but what's wrong with you continuing that as part of your diet plan? Is there anything wrong with having two or three beers every other, like every now and again? There's nothing wrong with it. Alcohol is calories. Up. How often do you get like bent? Like just like I'm gonna go rip oh, it up. Ender. Uh, there'd be there'd probably be at least two or three times a year. We we generally. Um, there was we, we'd have we'd be doing the big training block between sort of March and like sort of July, and so that was training. It was selection training in New Zealand, head overseas, race a couple of world champs, uh, world cups, sorry, in the series, and then there'd be the build until the sort of end of August, start of September for the world champs, and so end of July, um, oh mid July, the world the world cup would be in Lucerne in Switzerland. And so there's this great bar there called Mr. Pickwick's and fuck, we'd light it up, man. We would light it up and it would be like, we're going full gear. And, and of course, cause we'd have two or three days off and, and depending on one time we were in Munich for the last world cup and this was building in, oh shit, was it building? It was building into, um, into the London Olympics. And of course I went to the, to the beer halls. Fuck man, I was legless by the time I left. And so there's, there's time and a place for a good blowout, right? Because, at the end of the day, whatever you're doing, you should be enjoying it. It should be fun. It shouldn't yep. be like so stressful that it's doing this. And if, if part of the person that you are is having some wines, having some beers, getting on the piss with your mates, it shouldn't stop you from doing that, right? It shouldn't stop you from doing that. And I think that's one thing is people sometimes get too caught up and I've got to be so strict with this and I've got to be so strict with that. And it's like, yes, you do. You're going to be strict all the time because you, you're working towards something. But you just ask that consequences question. Is this going to affect me in any way? Now, if I get fucking legless and you, and you injure yourself, 100%, right? But if you're out with your mates, you're like, man, I'm pretty drunk, boys, you know, pretty good, you know, and then you leave. There's nothing wrong with it. And so that's the thing is it's just looking 
at is this going to affect me going forward? And if it's not going to affect you and you're like, I think I can get on the piss safely with the boys without us wrestling and someone fucking breaking an arm, you know, there's no arm wrestling or anything like that, then you're fine. And that's and that's the way that we lived at it. Because otherwise you're just going to be sitting in your room and you're going to be sitting there going, is this all worth it? You're sitting there going, man, I'm not sure. And so at the end of the day, you've just got to really make sure you enjoy yourself. Well, I believe in everything that you're saying. I love hearing it because sometimes you're just like, man, maybe am I doing it wrong? And then when you meet somebody like yourself, who's clearly run the game for decades, has so much experience. Now you're on the other side where you're no longer competing anymore. And you're looking back and you still have the same, same oh, opinions. hundred percent. Yeah. hundred percent. You're an animal. Is there anything, if you look back now at your career <clears throat> that you're like, I wish I would have done something. I wish I went for eights. I wish I trained differently. I wish I decided to live in Europe or something. Like, is there something you go back and you're like, if I could have done it, I'm not trying to bring up regrets. I'm talking about more so envisioning you, how you could have developed your career better. Is there something you think of? Uh, well, no, if I changed it all completely, I would have gone and played golf because fuck, I love golf. Um, yeah. But um, to change it differently, yeah, I would have liked to have gone and trained in a few other places and probably traveled a bit more and like raced at a few more regattas just for like, I guess the experience of it and like the... Um, I guess to, to fully take in what you're doing in your sport, because when you think of the sport of rowing, right, you go, people will think the Olympics, they'll think Oxford, Cambridge, they'll think head of the Charles, they'll think, you know, like it depends on what you know, right? And and so, and the Henley Royal Regatta, all these other things. And so you sort of put them into like, what is rowing actually about? Where is it done? What are the big races around the world? Um, and so like we did some of them, but I didn't do all of them. Right. And so I'd be like, oh, I'd love to have gone over there. And, and, you know, if Hamish and I, you know, if we had, you know, but problem is life gets in the way, right? You're married, you've got a kid. So you can't be like, hey, babe, I'm going overseas for six months, you know, that type of thing. And we can't really train back and forth. But see, it would have been nice for Hamish and I to go train in the States, you know, like we could have gone and been part of the program for a while and just, just see what they're doing, be part of their thing. You know, just look at what's happening. See if we could have, like, because we were always trying to evolve, right? We're always trying to evolve. Even though we're winning races, I never just turned up and went, ah, fuck, we'll just keep doing the same because we're going to win. Yeah. You know, we were always searching, right? Searching, 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 searching. But the biggest thing that we had was that we knew what our benchmark was. We knew what was currently working. We knew what was creating speed right now. And then if we made any adjustments, whether that's technical, program, um, physical whatever set up in the boat if it started not producing the same speed then we go back to what we knew was our benchmark right we knew what was that that period that that control and then we could change it up and up and down and so we do that all the time we do that all the time and sometimes we get no difference sometimes it would be worse sometimes it would be slightly better and we were like oh this is this is good let's, let's keep doing this and then you'd refine that further because at the end of the day, you're always trying to evolve, right? And there's no other way to evolve than experiment. And we were probably the kings at it. Yeah. So uh, I always like – I know that there's things outside of the gym that really play an influential role on a lot of the people who are super successful. Is there any kind of <clears throat> book or is there any kind of person that was really an instrumental piece of where you are now? Not particularly, no. I like obviously you're following the people that were before you, um, and I would say that at a certain stage, yes, like you're looking up to the people that are that are winning, right? You're you're a young guy, you're, you're trying to evolve, you're trying to get speed. How fast am I going to get? 
and and that was that was what we were trying to do. So so they're your idols, right? They're like, I really want to be like Steve Redgrave, you know, five Olympic consecutive gold medals. You're like, fuck, they'd be mean, you know. And so you're looking at all of that situation, thinking this is this is what I want to to, to be. Um, but you've got to learn, and I think we were in a sport where you're very like it's it's black and white, right? You get into a race and someone pisses off in front of you, you're like, well, we're, we're not ready. Well, we we're we're here. But we're just not ready to be on on the podium, right? And so then it's just starting to figure out what needs to happen and emulating, right? Follow, look at what other people are doing, um, get eyes on 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 what's what they're doing in terms of their training, the way they're approaching it, their recovery, their rest, their warm ups, everything else, and then just start to take nuggets from that and to to bring it into your stuff. Um, and and that was what I was I was like, you know. And I loved I loved looking at every other sport. I've got huge admiration for anybody in any sport that is is going for what they're going for, because I know what they're going through. I know what they're trying to achieve, and I know that they're testing everything. They're they're changing variables. They're looking for it. They're under pressure all the time. They're they're putting themselves in the hurt locker. Like, and that's it. And so yeah, like I, I, as I say, I give admiration to anyone. I gave admiration. Um, I gave I gave respect to everybody I ever raced because at the end of the day they are wanting to win just as much as I was wanting to win and and you've got to give everyone a pat on the back for that. God dang man! Well, it's been such an amazing time sitting here and just listening. I'm not gonna lie, like I've been jaw dropped the whole time. I'm like, ah, <laughs> oh, uh, and you're you're a fascinating guy, and obviously like your results that you, they speak for themselves. There's nothing you can really question in that career you're a gold medalist across the board for a long time um we're really grateful that you showed up for us and i'm, I'm imagining so many people who are listening to this really are going to pull away some amazing little nuggets to help improve their lives um dude i hope we can stay connected if you're ever in the states i know it's a, a lot of a slog but if you ever find your way here uh i'm i'm in out in la i'd love to host you get a workout and whatever you want to do i wish you the best of luck, luck at golf and um everything you got going on in new zealand and <laughs> Thanks, Bill. Uh, I look forward to staying in touch, man. Yeah, if you want to, mate, if you want to drop some some time on your rowing machine, you can just come and talk to me, pal. There you I'll go. I need it, dude. Oh, I'm oh. trying. I'm trying to break six minutes. My best is six oh seven, but I I don't put enough work in to be a savage like you do. But maybe. Uh, yeah, th- yeah. It's it's like the right the thing with the rowing machine is it's very like uh, the the technique is is what you're trying like because fitness fitness and, and whatever you're doing generally takes care of itself, right? And the, the ability to hold a certain power for a certain period of time. One of the biggest mistakes that people make on the rowing machine is that they go out too hard. You want to be, if you want to break six minutes, you just got to hit 130 all the way. You don't need to start at 124 and then fucking, and then die through the middle and then try and sprint at home. It's just, you've got to be consistent pace all the way through. One of the things that I think people don't quite grasp with what you're trying to do with the rowing machine is you like you do you do fucking shit ton of cleans right in the like in, in the gym the rowing machine is a clean but in a horizontal motion okay so so get that in your head so when you're when you're when you're doing the clean yeah when you're doing the clean right everything's hung through under here your arms are hanging and then that drive of the body and then your arms don't lift the bar the bar's coming up to you and you and you get underneath it right and so that's very much the similar thing in, in the, when you're on the rowing machine is that all you're trying to do is, <clears throat> is when you, is you're actually just driving the body back and everything's hung under here and then the arms just come to you and finish out. Because if you look at, if you turn the power curve on, if you turn that force curve on and had a look at it, 
There ain't no way you're producing any power with your arms. You're doing fuck all. But you can hang off a chin-up bar and just hang there, right, and go, that's cool. The moment you put a little bit of break in there, how long are you going to stay there for? Like five, ten seconds, if you're lucky? hundred percent. But you can hang there and just be like, I'm locking in and late and engaging the lats. And that's the thing with the rowing machine is it's understanding the firing sequence. And when your legs are driving your body, when you're fucking just sitting back through that stroke, power is your friend, right? And then it's just the tiny little bits of efficiency of making sure you keep enough rating to keep that flywheel going. Because all the flywheel's doing is trying to slow down on you, right? Just trying to slow down. And all you're trying to do is efficiently pick it up at the front. And you just want to, you know, it's like, have you ever heard the analogy where you get a bicycle wheel and you just tap it over top and and then you just keep tapping it over top, tap it over top. That's all you're trying to do with the flywheel because, but everybody thinks that they should be like ramming it from the front, but you can't, the gear, like you need a little bit of take up period and then you send the body through the middle, bang. And you just do that on repeat. All right. Now that's my sub six right there. I'm going to go test it out. Um, I'm actually, I'm so amped up. I'm going to go train right Ryan's now. In. What's wrong on the tour? Yeah. What, what, what's your golf handicap score? Uh, four. Wow. <laughs> yeah i play, i love i i used to play as a kid and then i got back into it after i finished rowing so 2017 2018 um and then just slowly being like i know i know what it takes to be good at something it's like repetitive behavior uh, focusing breaking it down <clears throat> and yeah and so basically you get out there and practice and you can get better that's the thing with golf right we all love golf and everyone fucking turn up to a top you know top golf or something and whack a few balls but once you start just understanding, like you look at the top guys in the world and it looks effortless and so it should be. And that's the thing with is everything is around a style, around a technique that allows you to do something really well in the way that it's meant to or physio- physiologically meant to happen. And that's it. And so I'm just trying to do the same, but I'm just a bit, because I'm, you know, a bit tight and upper body, but old, that type of thing. Um, yeah, I just got to loosen up. Bang. So, Hunter, if R is 72, he's shooting like 76, right? Yeah. 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 He's almost, you're almost, they're like a scratch golfer. You're right there. You shoot par. Uh, yeah, well, I'd like, I'd like to. I'd like to. But, like, I, as I say, right, you know, we, we're all in the same boat where you know what it takes to get good, mm-hmm. right? You know, you know what it takes to be in, in amongst the mix. But to then take that next step is, fuck, man, it's a decision, right? And I'm, <laughs> I'm just... I'm slightly obsessed with golf because of the beers and with the drinking with the boys and that sort of thing. But I'm not super obsessed with uh, being obsessed with trying to be the best at golf. Cause I just like, I'm just like, you know what? I'm, I'd love, like, I want to play good golf. Don't get me wrong, but I'm not out there to try and compete and, and make teams and stuff like that. I just love it because I really enjoy the space that you've got when you're out there having a good time, whether it's good, whether it's bad, no one gives a shit. You're outside. It's a bit of fun. Um, and that's where I find my spare time these days. Yeah. Nice. Dude, I, I got to get that in my life. Cause my, I, I literally live on top of a mountain. I train all day long. I call people on the phone, but there's not a lot of, as we've gotten older, there's not a lot of a reason for us to come together and collectively just hang out rather than work out or something like that. It's very hard for me to spend time with my friends. Cause they're like, do you want to work out? I'm like, dude, I already worked out four hours today. I can't do that. Um, like, I, do you want to go out and get food and beers? I'm like, I, I'm not really down to get beers right now, but like, I'll sit with you in a golf cart and maybe swing some clubs. So maybe yep. that's what I need to bring into my life to have a little bit more casual. One, 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 one thing I'll say to people, and I think 
it's it was it was one of our philosophies and our and our mental focuses as we were going through and I, and I can't remember if it was a a psychologist that, that that we talked about or whether it was just Hamish and I that that sort of pinned upon it you've got to remember that there's no sacrifices in life okay everyone sits there going oh I sacrificed so much doing what I'm doing it's just an opportunity cost right that's all it is and I think the moment you take that negative connotation out and be like because negativity, you want to be trying to be positive. Even when something's bad, you can take a positive out of a learning, right? Yep. But that's the thing with the way that you're thinking about it. It's like, oh, but I'm sacrificing being with my friends because I'm going to the gym for four hours a day. It's not a sacrifice. It's an opportunity cost. Your friends are sacrificing being at the gym because they've got to fucking work in an office, yeah. right? It's just an opportunity cost. If they want money, they've got to work. And, and you know what I mean? So that, that's where you've got to look at things like that and be like, look, Whatever we do in life, there's opportunity costs. And the, 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 when you start to understand that and, and throw that whole negative shit of, of sacrifice bullshit out, out of the window, um, you just look at things and go, well, this is what I want to do. And if you want to go and see your friends, you're going to make time for it. And so that's it. You know, so the opportunity cost, it's like, well, I'll only train for three hours today because I want to go and see my mates for an hour. You know, and that's what you've got to think about it in terms of because everybody in the world is doing different shit. And there should never be anything of the sacrifice crap. It's like, you want to do this? That's why you're doing it. There's no such thing as a sacrifice. It's all an opportunity cost. I completely agree. What a rock star. What a rock star interview, dude. Everybody is, uh, we've been getting a lot of comments on the side. People love you. All right, dude. Um, you've motivated me. I'm going to the gym to go beat the shit out of these machines. Brother, it was a pleasure. Ryan, I'll stay in touch. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Morningwood Radio over and out. Catch up with you, Merrick. Thanks, Dan. Later, guys.